Okay, everybody. We're going to get going here. I'm going to run through some announcements. First off here, um, who remembers their New Year's resolution from last year? I don't make those. Mine was to spend more silence and solitude with God. That was my New Year's resolution from last year. Okay, I did all right. I give myself a solid B minus, which is passing. <laughs> Nobody else. Okay, well, hopefully you made a New Year's resolution this year that you'll forget next year. All right. Um, run through some announcements. If you're new here and you wanted to get connected to the things going on in the life of the church, obviously it's been holidays, so not a lot has been going on, but as we start to get into the uh, second half of winter and into spring, then we'll start doing more and more things. So if you wanted to get connected, you scan this QR code, and then what that will do is that will give you a place to fill out a form, which we get your contact information, and then we're able to sell you our venues. We also have a sheet out there on the little kiosk out there in the foyer uh, that has... All right, we're going to jump into uh, a new sermon series because it's the new year. Uh, sorry. And it's called The Narrow, uh, the Narrow Way, Discipleship with Jesus. Um, and essentially what we're going to be looking at for the next, uh, I think, six weeks is uh, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Um, and when we talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus, at least for myself, Todd and I are going to be uh, you know, teaching this together. Uh, we start with the premise or the idea that Jesus is the greatest person to have ever lived. And so when we talk about following Jesus, we're talking about following and being invited into following the greatest person who has ever lived, um, which gives us several reasons to pay attention to his teaching in life, if that is true, and I believe it is true that he is the greatest person to have ever lived. Uh, there was, I, I heard a story once about a young uh, child asking their dad, uh, which may be a question we've all asked, like, Dad, what, what does God actually look like? And the dad just gave the perfect and the right Sunday school answer, which is, well, God looks like Jesus. Um, and so when we talk about Jesus, Jesus, at least by his own definition, is God in the flesh. And Jesus, at the same time, is the way that we overcome sin and death. He is the sacrifice that gives us the ability to overcome sin and death. And Jesus, at the same time, uh, shows us what it means to live a purposeful and meaningful um, life. And so what we're going to do, at least I'm going to do, is we're going to camp out on this idea that Jesus gives us a blueprint of what it means to live a purposeful and godly and meaningful life. There's a theologian, his name is N.T. Wright. He's an Anglican bishop. He's a fantastic theologian. He writes a ton of stuff. And I think I was listening to a podcast of his and he had made the comment that, you know, Jesus could have been born in a barn and then stayed in that barn until he was 33 years of age. And then they could have wheeled him out, put him on the cross. He could have died on the cross. 
and our sins would still be forgiven. We could still be a part of the resurrection of the dead and the new earth. But that's not what happened. Jesus was born in a barn, um, and then he kind of lived in obscurity for a period of time, and then he lived publicly in front of us or in front of the people that walked with him for three years. And so you have to ask the question, so if our sins could have been forgiven just by him being on the cross, why does he live this public life? And I would say it's to show us two things, the the proclamation and the demonstration of kingdom values, right? So he's telling us about the kingdom of God, and at the same time, he's demonstrating to us uh, the kingdom values, and at the same time, what discipleship is. What does it mean to follow him? What does discipleship look like, uh, both in being a disciple uh, and just giving us information about how to be disciples ourselves? So Jesus gives us three years as an example to to follow. And this is important because we don't just live in this neutral world. We live in a world that is vying for our devotion and for our affection. We don't just live in this place that we walk out and and there's no other distractions all around us. We see all sorts of things that distract us. Um, One of the things is I I love looking at like old uh, uh, advertisements and so like this, like you have this, the kid's like two, and you're giving him seven up because for some reason that's a good idea. Um, so evidently you're supposed to give your kids seven up. So we don't live in this neutral world. We live in this place that's telling us, like, this is the good life. We have two moms hanging out with the kids. One kid is in the pool drinking seven up. And, you know, obviously things have gotten way more sophisticated (coughs) because now we have, like, iPhones and Apple and Google phones, all of these things. And so in terms of advertising, billions and billions of dollars are spent trying to make you feel as if the things that you have in the life that you live is inadequate and what you need is the very product that this company is selling. So we're not living in this neutral space. At the same time, we also live with nationalistic ideas. What does it mean to be American? That my country is the best. My country is the way. Uh, My form of government is the way. Um, So I need to be uh, more proud or more American or more Indian. You see several different flags here. Um, And so we have this nationalistic idea uh, that's vying for our devotion uh, as well. Then we have political parties. Uh, This is from a Pew Research um, that basically broke down the um, what brings meaning to your life. And so you see on the uh, right side there, you see the conservatives, um, which some of these are really funny. Like the right tour at the elephant, kind of where the top of it said, it's just the word hard. I don't understand. Like hard what? You're just like you're a gangster. I don't understand what hard would actually mean. But then down in the donkey down there, like daughter tough. Like, so, tough daughter, I I don't, so, these are values that are in political parties, but all of us are kind of in this tension, Um, where do you line up? You need to line up somewhere, what are your values? Again, these things are vying for our affection and our devotion to pick one or the other, we have to be one uh, or the other, Um, and then, of course, you just have the, you know, money. And all of us are wrestling with money in some way, shape, or form. So that's a part of affection and devotion that, again, heading into 2024, we're like, how do I make more money? What do I do with the money that I have? Um, All of these things. And so we don't just live in this neutral space. And then you have Jesus, God in the flesh. 
the king of the cosmos, who through demonstration and proclamation shows us the kingdom of God and its values. So a couple of of different ideas that I kind of want to hone in on today, key ideas to the narrow path is that one, Jesus is the way. That's first. Second is that Jesus' way, which is discipleship, is hard, it's difficult, but it is worth it. So first, Jesus is the way. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen um, the Mandalorian. Who's seen the Mandalorian? So there's a lot that Disney has put out, especially in like Star Wars world, and a lot of it's not good. The Mandalorian is solid. It is so cool. It's like this Mandalorian, but he's a, he's a cowboy at the same time. It's literally an old Western, but with a Mandalorian is like Clint Eastwood. Super cool. And so the Mandalorians, what they say, they all get together and they have something, and um, they always say, this is the way. And then all the other Mandalorians say, this is the way. So they, right, they go and rescue some child somewhere, and they say, this is the way. And all the other Mandalorians, this is the way. And so Jesus doesn't say, this is the way. That's not what he says. He doesn't come up and hang out with everyone and say, this is the way. Jesus says, I am the way. And so this is a really big distinction, especially in terms of like religious beliefs and religions and faith systems that often point to a way, including the Mandalorian, this is the way. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says something distinctly unique, and he says that I am the way. So um, this comes out of John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. This is Jesus speaking. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to me, comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, and, uh, you do know him and have seen him. So in this, we have two really wild statements. One, Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And he's pointing to himself. So again, Jesus doesn't point to the way. Um, He's not pointing to saying like, hey, do these certain things and you will be good or follow these rules and you'll be right with God. Jesus doesn't do that. Oftentimes people think that Jesus did that, like, hey, do follow these rules and and you'll be good. And he also didn't. And I think that this is difficult for us to kind of understand. Jesus doesn't come to earth 2000 years ago to set up a new religion called Christianity. That's not what he is setting out to do. He's not thinking to himself, I need to come down and set up what the world really needs is another religion. It's not what he was aiming at doing. People create religions. That's what we do. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he invites us into that life with this invitation, which is, follow me. It is both profound and very simple. That's his invitation. Follow me. Follow me. 
He is the way. And so because he is the way and he invites us into following him, my worship, and we just worship and we sing to God, but worship is much more broad than just singing songs. My worship is my devotion to him day in and day out. So I didn't grow up being a Christian. Um, I mean, when I was younger, and I've shared this before, I thought Christianity was so lame. I'm like, this is so dumb. Why would anyone do this? And then all of a sudden, Jesus is like, oh, yeah? And so then I met Jesus, and I was like, oh, I guess this isn't dumb. I was dumb. Um, And so then I started going to... Um, I started coming to this church, but I was still kind of not all in. I was at the Bible study here, and they're like, Sean, why do you still party? I'm all, because Christianity just seems so boring. This seems so lame. So I'd go to the Bible study, and then I'd go out and keep drinking, and I was partying and doing all these things. I'm like, this seems so boring to me. And then I got into this big car accident, this rollover wreck, um, and I got out of the car, and I put some chewing tobacco in my mouth, and I'm like, man, if I... if If I had to face God right now, I'd be so ashamed of the way that I'm living my life. And I'm like, Lord, from here on out, I'm going all in with you. And so after that, I started, I was attending this church, um, but then I also started going to Bethel. And um, you have to take this all with a grain of salt. I'm not throwing shade on Bethel. Bethel's a great church, um, and it's always easy to throw rocks at the big house. Um, And we do things good here, and we do things weird, so every church is kind of funky. Anyways. I started going there all the time. I was up there every, I would go up there Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. I was there all the time. And I didn't even have my driver's license because some, for some reason I was too poor to have a car. And so I rode my bike all over town and I'd ride my bike up to Bethel. And there was a lot of amazing things that happened up at Bethel. Um, but one of the things that I got really confused by, just in terms of like big church Christianity, was I kept thinking that, man, it kind of seems like this is the goal for a lot of you people, like just being here, doing these things. And it's confusing to me because I'm not necessarily seeing you like look like Jesus and act like Jesus, but it seems like this is the pinnacle of what it means to follow Jesus for you. And so I kept coming back here to the vineyard, which seemed uh, exceptionally normal, with exceptionally normal people doing really cool things. And I'm like, this kind of seems more like Jesus and how Jesus would live. And so in the end, obviously, I chose, I'm like, well, I think I'm going to stick with the vineyard. Um, Nothing against Bethel. Um, And so this question for me was always, how do I reflect and follow Jesus in my day-to-day life? Because again, if Jesus is the way, then our worship is to follow him and be obedient to him. And so we see this in the New Testament, the Great Commission, Jesus' last words. Now, and I think that this is important because even for us, when someone passes away, we will say like, their last words were this. So last words are really important. And so it's the Great Commissions. And he says, go and make disciples. And so he doesn't say, go and make Christians. He doesn't say, go and make converts. He says, go and make disciples. Because disciples is what he wanted. And discipleship is what he invites us into. And so when Jesus says disciple in the Great Commission, he has something very specific in mind. Because this is what he wants. Both for us to be, that we would be disciples, and that we would also participate in discipleship with one another. So disciple in Judaism, because Jesus um, 
was and still is a Jew. Um, a disciple is a student, and disciples fo- follow the teacher's teachings. Disciples follow the teacher's way of life. And so then we can ask ourselves, are you a student? Am I a student of King Jesus? So Jesus being... Uh, Jewish. All of the disciples uh, were Jewish. And so within Judaism, you have this idea of a rabbi and disciples. And so a rabbi would be a religious teacher. And so he would know the Torah and then he would pick the best of the best. And so this idea of discipleship with the rabbi, they would have and did have a saying that said, um, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. So I would hang out, I would see Tony, and be like, Tony, what's up, man? How you doing? I hope the 49ers lose today. Yeah, that's great, Tony, awesome. Uh, and then I say, Tony, as a blessing, I would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Which means, may you follow your rabbi so closely that as you walk on the dusty trails, that the dust from his feet would kick up upon you, meaning that you follow him so closely, not only his teachings, but his way of life. You are a follower of him. So Jesus, again, he's a rabbi, and so this would have been a part. So this is the way. Jesus is the way. And discipleship to Jesus is the way. And so we see in the early church being disciples, making disciples, releasing disciples to plant and start churches. This is something that I thought would, might be interesting to share. Um, we're doing a leadership class with the Red Bluff Vineyard, and so we're going through different leadership stuff. But just this idea of what it means to be a disciple, um, what it means to have leadership. And so in terms of like leadership, the, the first part where we start is leading self as a disciple. So when we think about leadership, we have to think about leadership and am I leading myself as a disciple of Christ? That is the starting point. You, are you demonstrating leadership in your own life? What are the habits and the fruit of an individual who demonstrates the ability to lead themselves as a disciple of Christ? Then they go to leading others, then they go to leading leaders, leading ministries, and then leading organizations or a church. But the foundation is, as a disciple, as a follower of Rabbi King Jesus, that leading yourself as a disciple, that is the premise or the foundation of worship to Christ. To what degree am I a student of King Jesus? This is the way. I was weak. It's a hundred percent weak. All right, this is the way. Yeah, all right, good job. It's awesome. <laughs> I was thinking about that. We should do that regularly, but without any type of like forewarning, so that like when newcomers come here and we're like, this is the way. They'll be like, this is crazy. (laughs) I went to this is the way cult. This is, they're crazy, dude. What's up? Unless they've seen the Mandalorian, then they'll be like, that's the raddest church ever. Okay, so. Jesus' way is is discipleship. It's hard, but it's worth it. Okay, so my first point is that Jesus is the way. The second part is Jesus' way. Discipleship is hard, but it is worth it. So if we put Jesus' sayings into big categories, and I love him for this, that there's no false advertising 
uh, here with Jesus. One, it's going to be worth it. We read him in the Gospels, and we see, like, this is worth it. Following me is worth it. Uh, The resurrection of the dead, uh, the new earth, um, which might seem like out-of-the-box categories, um, but if you read the New Testament, you realize that the resurrection of the dead and the new earth are really kind of like central ideas within the New Testament. Uh, and so first is, it's, it's going to be worth it. Second, following Jesus will be hard. He makes no bones about this. He is really open about the idea. And when you're reading stuff within the New Testament and you see Jesus talking, you're like, dang, Jesus, that was kind of mean. Like, I, I wouldn't even say that. And then, but So Jesus is saying, it's going to be worth it. Yes, but it's also going to be uh, difficult. So in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 13 through 14, Jesus says this, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many will enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. So here's Jesus saying, enter through the narrow gate. And when Jesus says this, he's using another metaphor to say that he is the gate. So enter through the gate, Uh, he is the gate. Uh, This is the way, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the gate. Again, he is the way, the truth, and the life. But it also implies or insinuates two other ideas. Narrow implies some degree of difficulty to get through. Okay? Um, So if you were talking, we have a men's backpacking trip every summer, uh, and if I said, the path to the top of the mountain is very narrow, No one would misunderstand me and say, oh, well, it's going to be easy. No problem. When I say that, you know that the path to the top of the mountain is narrow. That means it's going to be difficult. Broad or easy is the road to destruction. So I'm going to kind of just tangent a little bit. What does Jesus mean by destruction? Is he talking about hell? Uh, Maybe. And at the same time, just to kind of tangent a little bit more, uh, does hell exist? This is a really good question, which I hope we've all asked. Um, Does hell exist as we've been traditionally um, told? Uh, I'm not totally sure. Uh, What I am sure of is that Jesus uses language and imagery to steer us away from one place and guide us to another. That is absolutely sure. And he uses very kind of like big language and imagery to help us choose another path. Jesus warns us often to take the narrow way. And so if Jesus is the smartest person who has ever lived, I'm trusting Jesus's warning. Broad and easy is the road to destruction, which in English, I don't speak Greek, uh, but I know English. In English, that means don't go that way. Jesus is saying there's something behind door number two that you do not want to experience. Truly. Over and over again, does he say this? You do not want to experience door number two. Do I believe in hell? 
well, my belief about what's there won't change what is actually there. Jesus is crystal clear. Don't go that way. Go this way. I believe in Jesus, and I heed Jesus' warning. Whatever's on the other side of door number two is hellish. Enter through the narrow gate. Broad is the road to destruction. So... Jesus describes following him as the narrow path. And there's two ideas on the metaphor of the narrow path. One, following Jesus will be worth it. And two, following Jesus will be hard. And I think that Jesus is being a gentleman here. And he doesn't say, it's all going to be great. (laughs) Hey, when we get together, everything's going to be wonderful. Um, If you follow me, I'm going to take away all your problems. And everything's going to be great. It's going to rain money. And everything's going to be fantastic. He never says anything like that. What he is saying is it will be worth it, but it will be difficult. Um, I like going to weddings. Weddings are super cool, um, and they're wonderful, but I always kind of feel like a Debbie Downer at a wedding. I really do, Um, because the thing that I realize is that a wedding is not a marriage. And so when we're at a wedding, it's like, Lisa, I love you. I mean, these guys, right, prime of their life, beautiful Young, strong, yes. Wet, she looks great. He's in a suit. It's awesome. I love it. Everyone looks good. I dress up. You dress up. You pay for food that I eat. I love being at weddings, man. This is so cool. It's like some of my favorite things ever. But a wedding is not a marriage. A healthy marriage is worth it. And a healthy marriage is really hard. Like, really hard. Sorry, Linda. Just apologize now. It's hard. It's really difficult. It is. And then it gets better, and then you're back at where you started, and all these things. And I don't know if you're like Linda and I, uh, but you just end up fighting about the same thing over and over, but in different ways. And the toaster brings it up. And, you know, it says all these weird things. You're like, are we having the same fight again and again and again? So a healthy marriage is worth it, and a healthy marriage is really hard. If you look at these, they get married in 1945. Here's 2005. They take a picture at the same building. They have gone through so much. So much. It's really hard. And Jesus uses uses marriage as a metaphor for our relationship with him, biblically. We are the bride and he is the groom. We're married to him. Which means that it's worth it, but it's also going to be really hard at the same time. Um, And so as I think about following him and it being hard, I mean, that's certainly been my experience. I came to this church 27 years ago. And I've come and gone and, you know, stuff like that. But, I mean, I've been a part of the life of this church for 27 uh, years. The amount of joy and meaning... Uh, and calling and the reward I've gotten from this church is immense. I wouldn't be the individual that I am. I wouldn't have the marriage that I have. I wouldn't have the kids that I have. I wouldn't have the finances I have, not because I get paid so much here, but because of all the friends that I get to talk to about finances and all these things. I, I, don't, I wouldn't be where I'm at um, in my life had I not walked through the doors of this church. 
It's incredible. At the same time, being a part of this church for 27 years, I have experienced immense pain. I've watched lives come and go. I've watched people uh, get really weird and lie and do all sorts of weird things. And it's been really tough. Um, And then at one point in time, I took eight people to go and plant a church down in Santa Cruz, California. Again, following Jesus will be worth it, but following Jesus will be really hard. While we were there, um, we saw 25 people give their life to Christ in like a five-year period, which down there, it's it's not like it is up here. Reading is very Christian. Um, being in Santa Cruz, you are essentially the tip of the spear of New Age. I mean, it's, just, it's a wild place down there, man. And so, you know, we saw 25 people give their life to Christ. When we were down there, one of the eight people that we brought down with us um, was this guy in this picture, if I can get it. This is my friend Laban. Laban came to this church. Uh, Laban was an alcoholic, um, and he came into this church. Somebody actually gave him a prophetic word that changed his life in this church. And so he gave his life to Christ, and he came down to Santa Cruz with us. Planting a church, moving from one city to another to start a church is a really hard thing to do. And so there was a lot of pressure on us um, to really just get out there and share the gospel and do all these things. There was a lot of pressure. I would have considered Laban um, one of my best friends, one of my dearest friends I ever had in my life. Um, There's obviously a lot of tension that happens. We were all living together. And so at some point in time, uh, he had gotten frustrated with me for some reason. And then he found this girl because he wanted to get married. Um, And I said, hey... Uh, you know, why don't you just kind of slow down with this relationship thing and just kind of, you know, take it slow, you know, have her come hang out with us. And he blew out and um, said all sorts of things to me that were like really hurtful and painful and just revealed a lot of hurt that was in our relationship. And so he left. It was crushing to me. Um, It was devastating to me. Uh, I had seen Laban's life grow and and just an amazing individual. Well, time went on. We ended up moving back to Reading, and then I found out that Laban had uh, uh, got stomach cancer. And so Laban was one of the most talented athletes I had ever met. He was 27 years old when we were in Santa Cruz. He lost a ton of weight and started playing soccer again, which was his main sport. And he ended up getting on to the soccer team of a junior college down there, uh, which if you, down, down in that area, if you're a white dude on the soccer team, you're, you're like one of the only white dudes. He was the only white guy. He was 27. Everybody else was Hispanic. And they took fourth place in the state of all the junior colleges of, of, junior, of, of junior college soccer. I mean, it was a really great team. And he was a fantastic athlete. So he used to be healthy and athletic. I found out he was living here, and I said, dude, we should get together. And when I saw him, he literally looked like he had been in a like death camp. He was like skin and bones. We went to a coffee shop. He looked gray. Uh, he had to carry a pillow around uh, to sit down on because his butt just had no flesh on it anymore. And it was just so heartbreaking to see. Yet even in the midst of that, and hear me, following Jesus is worth it. Following Jesus is hard. Because we are both believers in Christ, 
we wanted to make everything right. We made everything right between us as he was dying. And then he passed away. I still actually talk to him. I don't know if he hears me. But I'm like, I just say, hey, what's up, dude? This is really hard. I'm going through it. And I just imagine him saying, dude, it's worth it. Like, keep going. Keep pressing on. Keep going. It's worth it. It's hard, but it's worth it. So when we talk about Jesus being the narrow way, um, again, may the dust of your rabbi be on you. Uh, I, I would never trade what I've gone through. I love what I do. I, I, I love following Jesus. And by that, again, it's super hard. <laughs> I wrestle with things all the time that are so difficult, but at the same time, there's so much meaning and joy in my life because of Jesus. And he told us, told me it was going to be difficult, but it's going to be worth it. So real quick, kind of just to wrap it up, how do we make this practical day-to-day? All of this will be exceptionally boring, but practical, and that's just how it is. When you're having issues in your marriage and you're like, what do I need to fix? And then people are like, hey, maybe you should fix this. You're like, that's too boring and practical. Why would I try that? Okay, so how do we grow in our relationship with Jesus? I mean, here it is. First, reading scripture daily, every single day. I read one chapter of scripture every day. I used to read way more than that. Um, I don't know if I, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, I mean, when I was a young guy, I used to take a full French prince of coffee and drink the whole thing and just read nonstop. Those days are over. Um, (laughs) I just read one chapter a day. There's enough in a chapter for me to try and wrestle with theologically. There's enough for me to, to, what can I obey? In this chapter, what is God saying to me through this chapter? One chapter a day. Super simple. It's very easy. That's how we start. We don't, you're not just going to go out and like run a marathon tomorrow. You start out by walking a mile, and then you run the mile, and then you walk two miles, right? You slowly do this thing. Um, so one chapter a day. So first is just reading scripture on a daily basis. It's there. The Bible is amazing. The fact that the Bible exists is amazing. God's word to us. Second, talking with God, what we would call prayer. Um, Here recently, Jonathan came up to me, and he's like, Dad, I need to ask you a question. And my son always has these fantastic philosophical existential questions. He said, how do you speak to a being that already knows everything? And I said, like a friend. That's how you talk to him. Jesus calls us friends. You just talk to him. You say, hey, dude, this is what's going on in my life. This is, this, um, help me to see things as I should. You just talk to him like a friend. Um, talk with God. I know that when, we say, when I say prayer, it's like some formal thing, but just talk with him as you're driving down the street, walking. Just be like, God, thank you so much for the beautiful sky. Uh, God, help me to be who you want me, etc. The other thing is, too, we did do a period of time the thing called the questions for Jesus. Um, questions for Jesus is that something that all you do is you just ask a question to Jesus, more about your identity, who you are. Um, and so you just ask a question, and then you 
the first thing that comes into your mind that Jesus will speak to you. You're, you just listen to him. Jesus. And again, these, these questions are not, Jesus, um, what do I need to do today? They're more about, like, what do you love most about me? So you just ask the question, Jesus, what do you love most about me? Or you say, Jesus, who do you say I am? Or my favorite uh, question for Jesus that you can use every single day, Jesus, why am I your favorite? For real. Just ask him every day, Jesus, why am I your favorite? That's a great question for Jesus. Because you are his favorite. And then last, serve. Um, So first is, read scripture. Second, don't pray. Talk with God. And then last is, serve. Serve your family. Do the dishes. Sweep. Love them in some practical way. Serve your neighbor. Does your neighbor need something? This is all super practical stuff, right? There's no, like, silver bullet. Jesus is, like, he's the way. But then, like, love your family. Love your neighbor. Serve them in some way. Um, And serve within your church. And then last is read some books. There's great books out there, um, and I would encourage you to connect with them. All right, this is the way. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That is so cool, dude. We just need to do that forever. It's my favorite. Mandalorian and Jesus. So cool. All right, so we're going to take communion. We take communion every single Sunday. (laughs) Communion is uh, on the last night that Jesus was with us uh, during the Passover meal. Uh, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and he broke it, and he said, Take this. This is my body. Uh, And then he passed around a cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you, for your sins. Uh, This is the sign of the covenant. Very much like a wedding ring is a sign of a covenant of two people being married together. The cool thing, and again, there's so much symbolism in this that I think we overlook. Um, These are everyday items. Everyone in their house has some form of like starch and some form of fruit in their home. God chooses this intentionally because the kingdom of God is an everyday, every household thing. It's not exclusive to the rich, to the educated, to the powerful, and to the talented. It is for the common man, for the common household, which is good because I think all of us are fairly common. It's good news, okay? Um, And we also ingest it, which is weird. But it's profound because Jesus is inside of us. The kingdom of God is inside of us. And we also do it regularly because we leak. We're we're saints that still sin. And so we need to be reminded of the covenant that we have between our God and between us. And so that's what this all means. So the communion table is open to anyone who follows Jesus or anyone who would like to start following Jesus today. The way that we do it is we come down the center aisle here. You come and you grab a cracker. You dip it into the wine. Then you go around the sides so that we keep the flow of people going. Um, So if you would like to take communion, please come forward. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, that you are the way, the life, and the truth. We thank you that you came down to 
a world that you created. And we thank you that you love us and that we rejected you. That you never have and never will reject us. And this bread and this wine is the covenant, the signs of the covenant that we have with you, that you will always be with us, that you will always love us, and that you will always cherish us. We thank you and we love you for everything that you are to us. Let's partake. Well, why don't we stand? <clears throat> if you did want prayer for anything um, after the service, you can come forward and be some people up here that would love to pray for you. And the Bible talks about laying hands on one another in prayer and that there's something powerful that happens uh, when believers pray with one another. So if there's something that you want prayer for, then come forward and love to pray for you. If not, I'm just going to pray a blessing over us, and then we can uh, go on through the rest of our day. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the gift of your church, brothers and sisters, to be able to journey with. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you guide us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us, that you would empower us to be able to hear your voice more clearly and to be able to be obedient to you, that you are the way, the life, and the truth, and that we can follow after you and not only be loved, but God, help us to see, open our eyes to all the people that are around us that want to know your love in some practical way that we would be able to demonstrate that love to them. So we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.